0: How many of us are ready for God's word? Yes, yes, yes. Now we've been studying um, the, the subject, is Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And that's true. He's coming soon. Now we've talked about different signs of his coming. We've talked about deception. Well, Mark is coming. We talked about uh, that he said it would be like the days of Noah and the days of, of Lot. And we talked about what that meant. We also said that he's coming for his church, and his church needs to be ready because he's coming for his bride. That was last week, and this week I want to share with you that he's coming for Israel. He's coming for Israel. You say, well, well, wait a minute, Pastor, I thought the church took Israel's place. That's erroneous replacement theology. The church is the church, and Israel is Israel, and the church doesn't replace Israel. In fact, the Bible says that we are grafted into Israel's promise. It would, be through, it would be through the promise that God made to Abraham that from his seed and from his line would come the Savior that would bless many nations, but it didn't exclude Israel. In fact, Jesus said, and the New Testament says, that salvation is for who? For the Jew first, and then for the Gentile. And we see this in that Paul says, I don't want you to be what? Ignorant of the mystery. That there is a tree, and we've been grafted in, even as some have been pruned out, we have been grafted in. And he says, and I don't want you to be arrogant. I don't want you to be ignorant, and I don't want you to be arrogant in thinking that the promise is only yours. Or that somehow Israel is no more. For we have our promise first in the root, and the root is through the promise he made to the Jewish nation. And so we need to remember this because God's attention is gonna be turning from his church back to Israel as he calls his church home to the marriage feast of the Lamb. You go, well, Pastor, what do you mean? Let's talk about this for a second. The the, the first thing I need you to know is that there is going to be a wedding in heaven. There's going to be a huge wedding in heaven. Chapter 19 of Revelation talks about it. There's going to be a wedding in heaven. And that wedding is going to be between the groom, the bridegroom, which is Jesus Christ and his church. Come on. How many of us love weddings? I love weddings. Can I tell you, that's weddings sometimes are the only place you guys dance. I dance all the time, but some people they were they were raised to to not dance, smoke, drink, or chew, or hang around the girls that do. You know, they just they were raised. You don't do that, and so you feel like a wedding is a place you can kind of cut a rug, cut loose a little bit. And I love weddings, and maybe it comes it, it's because of my culture. My Hispanic culture is you know when when a wedding would take place. All the kids that were old enough to drive would, would would try to find someone with an invitation. And then we'd go, ooh, so-and-so has the invitation. Wait for us before you go in. And then about 20 guys would show up. And the door person would, be, would say, do you have an invitation? And we'd send the guy in front with the invitation to say, yes, we have one. Well, who are these gentlemen with you? And then we'd be 20 deep, 20 guys deep. Oh, these are my cousins. And it's like... Leg. Come on in. Come on in. Passing leg, Man, we would dance and have a great time. And in weddings, you hear music like this and just, just cheers up the soul. You hear music like this. It's coming. There you go. Come on. Doesn't this make you just feel good? There's something about this beat. I'm getting old, but I can still dance a little bit. Pause it for just a second. How many of you have heard that song? If you've never heard it, raise your hand. Raise your hand high. Hi, I want you to look around. The great majority of this auditorium as was with the first service and second service have never heard probably the most popular song in the world. You're in, a majority, you're in a minority. You laughed like every other service has laughed. Like true Americans. Like the world doesn't revolve around just us. Like we don't dominate everything. You know what's so interesting is this Someone said, is that Spanish? It's Zulu. It's a form of Zulu. Play it again. Around 10 million speak the language in the world, and yet it's affected billions. Huh? Number one song in the past year. And they have this little dance that goes with it. It goes, one two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three. I love weddings. I love dancing. How about anybody else? Anyone else? You know, we're going to have a fabulous time in heaven. You go, what does the song have to do with the message? I'll let you know at the end of the message. I'll let you know at the end of the message. But right now, let's get into Jesus is coming for Israel. He's coming for his church. And in fact, the New Testament tells us the when and the what because this is what the disciples asked Jesus at the Olivet Discourse. It's known as the Olivet Discourse because on the Mount of Olives, Jesus was with a few of his disciples. They sat down and they came to Jesus and said, Tell us when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And so Jesus said this to them. He said, So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. So he points us to Daniel. Do you realize that Daniel was just marked by the king of glory as being pivotal to understanding end times. He could have mentioned any one of the major prophets or one of the minor prophets. He could have mentioned several, but this is the only prophet that he mentions by name when asked about the end times. He says, I need you to start with Daniel and understand. Why? Well, let me share with you a couple of things about Daniel. First, Daniel was one of the fir- the only prophet in the Old Testament known as the beloved of God. The beloved of God. The prophet of God that was called by that. In the New Testament, he has a counterpart. Who's, the, who's his counterpart in the New Testament? John. So John is known as the beloved of God in the New Testament. Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel gets the lion's share uh, portion of prophecy in the Old Testament. John gets it in the New Testament, and their prophecies go like this. In other words, the book of Daniel is necessary to understand the revelation given to John. And if you want to understand Daniel, you need the revelation. They go hand in hand. Let's share a couple more things about Daniel, because Jesus says, Spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. First of all, Daniel was written to two audiences This is obvious because it's written in two languages. It's written in the Jewish language for the Jewish people. And it's written in Aramaic for everyone else. For everyone else. There's a prophecy right in the middle of the book of Daniel. The the prophecy of the 70 weeks. It's found in, in chapter 9 of Daniel. At the very end, the last four verses. 24, 25, 26, and 27. This four little verse prophecy is the most significant prophecy, I believe, in all of prophetic history. You say, does that mean it's superior to the other prophecies? No, I just mean that you have to understand this to fully understand the others. They, they link to this. They link to this. And so the prophecy is outlined as followed. You have an overall general prophecy that says, okay, there'll be 70 weeks. Now notice, in that very first verse, it says, for your people and for the holy city. Now who were Daniel's people? Israel. Israel were Daniel's people. And for the holy city. What's the holy city? Jerusalem is the holy city. Now watch this. That will be 69 weeks and Messiah will be cut off. They use the word week like we use the word decade. A decade for us is a 10-year period. A week for them is a seven-year period. So there will be 69 seven-year periods and Messiah will be revealed and cut off. That happened 2,000 years ago on Palm Sunday before Jesus Christ was crucified. That's when he came into the city riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. He came into Jerusalem and all your children, if they 're in the back, they got palm branches signifying that today is Palm Sunday, just like back then they put the palm branches on the street and they hailed Jesus, king of the Jews, Messiah. when the people that opposed jesus said you need a, you need a, you need to rebuke your your crowd, the people that are coming with you need to rebuke them. Jesus said, if I rebuke them, the rocks will cry out because today is the day prophesied and it will happen. That means the mountains will begin to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of the Jews, that he would be hailed as, and so this happened. The prophecy there in 69 weeks, verse 25 says Messiah would be cut off. So he was revealed And he was crucified that very week. Then you have a gap, which we call the interval, the grace gap, the Gentile period, the church age. It's known by all of these things. But it's a gap between God's people and then the 70th week when God turns his attention back to his people. We'll cover it in more detail in a second. Then verse 27 is the 70th week when it starts up with the Jewish people again. So, Messiah was cut off, not much to do with the Jewish people. Then the 70th week goes back to the Jewish people. If you need it visually, because some of us are visual learners, I put a timeline together. Here we go. Verse 24, 70 weeks. Verse 25 and 26, 69, Messiah is cut off. Messiah is cut off, he's resurrected and ascends into heaven. As he ascends into heaven, the Holy Spirit comes down and starts the church. Every one of us has the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be removed at the end of the church age, starting the 70th week. Here's the full representation. Here's the full representation. 69 weeks, Messiah is cut off. Church age begins with the, with the sending of the Holy Spirit At the end of the church age, the green arrow, we will experience a pre-tribulation rapture. Amen. A pre-tribulation rapture. Watch this. Do you see the marriage feast of the Lamb up on top of the 70th week? Why? Because just like Noah's ark, Jesus' love for us keeps us above the wrath on earth. Yeah, we'll be... We'll be in heaven celebrating a one-week-long celebration, feast, marriage. Do you ever wonder why they ran out of wine and Jesus needed to produce more in his first miracle? I used to think, man, these guys were real guzzlers. You know, because our wedding feast is one night, right? And we go maybe four hours at the most. No, they went an entire week. That's why it was hard to judge how much they would drink. And so you have an entire week's worth here. Now watch this. Down on the earth, you're going to have a hard red line. That is talked about in the, in the prophecy of the 70 weeks when he says the Antichrist will step onto the scene and he will have a treaty of peace that will be anything but peace. He will break it in the middle At the abomination that causes desolation in the holy place. And this is why Jesus says, you need to understand Daniel. You need to understand Daniel. Because there's going to be a point where the church comes to an end and it's raptured. And my attention goes back to Israel. And they experience the sealed judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments, the tribulation, the great tribulation, and ultimately my return. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Amen. All of this is going to happen like clockwork. Now stay with me. You say, what else do I need to know about Daniel? Daniel tells you about Christ's comings. His first coming was after the 69 weeks. His second coming will be after the 70th week. So we've talked about all of this in those timelines. But why? How do you know for sure? Well, there's clues in God's word where Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He begins to weep. Why? Because he knows what Jerusalem is about to go through. And this is what he says. He says, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. Think about those words. What does Isaiah call Jesus? The Prince of Peace. It's not the only one that calls him the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace and he's looking at Jerusalem as he's riding in and he knows, watch, but, you, but now it is hidden from your eyes. You're going to be veiled to who I am. That I am your prince of peace. And because you will reject me as your prince of peace, you will experience no peace for thousands of years until I what? Turn my attention back to you and draw you back to me. This is what happens, watch. But now it is hidden from your eyes. Keep going. They will not leave one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming. You didn't recognize me, he said. You didn't recognize the time of my visitation, some of your versions will say. You just didn't get it. And so because you rejected your Prince of Peace, you will have no peace. And I want you to think Through the ages, has there been peace in Jerusalem? Oh, it's been anything but peace. Anything but peace. This is what Jesus is saying. Now watch what Paul says. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. There will be a time where the Gentiles is done. Well, this is not what Paul says. Excuse me. This is what Jesus says in Luke, in Luke 21. Until the time of the Gentiles is complete. Now let's go to Paul in Romans chapter 11. So that you may not be conceited, he says, don't be arrogant. Israel has experienced a hardening of what? Of their heart in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. So Jesus is saying there's a time of the Gentiles. Paul explains what that time of the Gentiles is purposed for. It's so that the Gentile would be... Those that are, that are appointed by God would be saved. This is why Jesus has Peter right. God is not slow in keeping his promises as some think he is. Some say, where is the sign of his coming? Why doesn't he hurry up anymore? What's taking him so long? And Peter says, no, God is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone have an opportunity to come into salvation. This is the church, guys. You say, but but when will that come to an end? It will come to an end when he comes for his bride and we experience the marriage feast of the lamb. You go, okay, wow, the marriage feast of the lamb, what is that? It's a wedding to the king of glory in an old style way. What do you mean? Well, I want you to understand that there's different parts to a Jewish wedding. We we covered this very quickly last week. Today we're going to cover it again. That way we're, we're fully aware. There's a betrothal which includes a ketubah, which is a covenant. A covenant. That covenant has a morah, which is a payment. Do you realize that that's already taken place? Jesus made the payment for me and you at the cross. 2,000 years ago, he paid for your salvation, for you to be his bride. Some say this is like a dowry. yes. Something like, but it's a different culture. Then the bridegroom, excuse me, yes, the bridegroom, the groom, he departs. So he, he, he has the cup of joy with his bride, the cup of joy is what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. After he, does, he, he partakes of the cup of joy with her, he says, Darling, we won't have this together until I come for you and we're married. And our, in, in the marriage feast is when we will have this cup of joy again. Until then, I go to prepare a place for you. Read with me in John chapter 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my father's house, there are many rooms or many mansions. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back for you to take you so that you will be with me. Listen to what he's saying. So where are we at? Where are we at? The ketubah, the covenant's already been enforced. We are betrothed to Christ as a church. He's already departed to make plans. He's preparing a place. And you say, but pastor, how could he know when? When the Bible says that not even the son knows when. The reason the son doesn't know when is because he's following Jewish tradition. In the Jewish tradition, the son would prepare. And when he was done, he would say, dad, I'm done and the dad would say good job son let me look over it he would look over it then he would say i'll let you know when when what when to go get your bride so jesus explains to his disciples that he doesn't know the exact moment but he knows when he's going to be done and he knows when he's going to put it in the father's hands and he knows that once he puts it in the father's hands it won't be long before the father says what go get your bride So, what's the waiting for? The waiting is to build anticipation in the son's heart, but more importantly, in his bride's heart. Because as the bride begins to anticipate, she makes her dress and she gets so pretty for him and she is perfect and she's keeping herself away from everybody else and she's saying, I cannot wait to see my groom. You say, Pastor, I don't have a lot of anticipation. When you preach like this, I get a little nervous. That's the enemy messing with you. I'm going to ask you to engage the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will tell you, no, there's nothing to be nervous about. It's going to be better than you think. But what about my children? Those were Christ's, those were Jesus's idea. They'll be fine. But what about my relationships? Relationship, family, children, that was God's idea. Bring it to heaven with you. Get them saved. Get them saved. But 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 what about what about uh, uh, all the things, I, good things that you love? They were all His idea. They're going to be better in glory. Don't let the enemy steal this time of preparation, of anticipation, building in your heart. Let the Holy Spirit give it to you, Amen. And so, watch. I'm going to prepare a place, the surprise gathering. Then there's going to be what's called the hoopa. You know, when I was in Israel, I, I witnessed a traditional wedding. Um. And I'm going to go back to the picture. But the hoopah is God's covering. God's covering. It's the man's prayer shawl stretched out from corner to corner. Now, this one's a small one. They're usually a little bit bigger, maybe twice the size. Stretched out from corner to corner. Only enough room for the couple to be underneath the covering, making it a perfect triangle of a husband, his wife, and their God. You know, the problem is sometimes people try to bring others into under the covering. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, sometimes we bring grandma and grandpa, and we bring uh, Dia so-and-so and and uncle so-and-so, and we try to get everybody else's advice. No, no, no. It's between you and your bride and your God, you, your husband, and your God. And that's what, and, and, but that's for another day. And, and then it says that, you know, the tradition goes that you take that prayer shawl and you hang it over your bed to remind you that your bedroom is to be holy. What if America started living that way? Be careful what you do because you're under the holy covering of God. Do you realize that most of America's problems are coming through sexual temptations that could be alleviated if we just held, put the prayer shawl and the covering of God over our bed? And that's why Paul says, listen to me very closely, the marriage bed is to be kept undefiled. But that's for another day. Let's go back to this. So he comes back for his bride. They're going to be done. The hoop is going to happen, the the celebration. But you know what coming back for the bride looks like? Let me show you a traditional picture. It's called flying the bride back to the groom's house for the celebration to begin. Isn't this amazing that it all fits together when God says, I'm going to fly? You're going to fly to meet me in the air. Let me tell you, you don't want to miss that ride. It's going to be better than anything Six Flags, Disney, or Universal has to offer. I promise you. It's going to be an amazing ride. We're going to be raptured into the air, his bride, to meet him. And we're going to be flown back. Now, notice the Shafar, the ram's horn, the, the, or, or, um, the Shafar is used to call to attention. It will announce the coming of the bridegroom. That's why Jesus says, you'll hear the trumpet of the Lord and you will be drawn to attention as you're raptured into heaven. Oh, it's beautiful imagery, beautiful imagery. You say, but, but pastor, you still haven't read real specific on the when and the what. Okay, let's go back to, to, to Matthew 24 they asked him, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming? Okay, let's get into it. We've covered Daniel. What else does Jesus say in this chapter? Well, he says something very, very profound in verse 32. You with me? Verse 32, he says, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near. Okay, so watch. Here's a picture of a fig tree from my house. It's coming out. A couple weeks later, you have figs. A couple weeks after that, I don't have a picture yet, but you're gonna have edible figs. You can make fig Newtons, you can make jam, you can do whatever you want with those figs. It's amazing how quickly it happens. In fact, that's what Jesus is making the point. Look at the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves start to come out, it's going to happen quickly. You know that summer is near. Even so, you know that it is near. Read it with me right at the, come on, right at the Why is door significant? Go with me to Revelations. If you know something about Revelations, you know that the first three chapters, he deals with the church. In fact, he addresses seven churches. Now, what's the significance of seven, the number seven in prophecy? It means what? Completion. We've been talking about at the end of the church age, when the church age is what? Complete. We will be raptured. His attention goes back to who? Say it. Israel. So he says at the door. Do you know how he completes his discourse to the churches in Revelations? Revelations 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and I. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If any man, person, hear my voice. Let him what? Open the door. I will come in. To him and sup with him and he with me. They will have life everlasting is what he's saying. He says, behold, I stand at the door. Really? Look, 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 right at the door. He's there. You've you got to know that when the fig tree starts to bloom, okay, pastor, you've got my attention, but who in the world is the fig tree? Well, in, his, in, in prophetic terms, I can show you, and you can do the research yourself, the prophets of the Old Testament always refer to Israel as the fig tree, Israel now you say well pastor that 's more of israel 's national status well then let 's take it from israel 's national status. Is the fig tree blooming Yes, 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 okay, but but at the door, near. Near is a vague word. It could still be 2,000 years because a day to the Lord is like a thousand and a thousand is like a day. Yes, that's in Peter. But let me take you to Psalms where God does get pretty specific with us. In the book of Psalms, chapter 90, verse 10, the Bible says, Our days are what? 70? Or if by means of strength, meaning if you're strong and healthy and you have endurance, you can reach 80. You're going to experience a lot of trouble and sorrow. Isn't that true? In a, year, in a lifetime of 80 years, you're going to have good and bad. Watch this. They quickly pass. How fast do 80 years go? Ask Kenny Chesney. He says, don't blink. Never mind. Some of you not country singers. All right, here we go. For we quickly pass and then we what? Put the, put the picture back up there of flying the bride. This is what it looks like in the physical. When you fly a bride back. Now, now put the verse back. Put the verse back. And then we fly away. The king is coming with his angels. He's going to fly us back and this whole thing's going to be over. What, in 80 to 70 years of what? Could it be from the fig tree blooming? So maybe we need to get into this and say, what is Israel doing? Exactly, because the Bible says that he who has eyes see and he who has ears hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. What the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Okay, let's talk about some of these prophecies. We're going to go through them really quickly. They'll be on the screen and they'll be in your, in your uh, app. You can reference them later. Prophecies fulfilled in 1948. How many years ago was 48? 74 years ago. 48. Israel would be brought back to life, the prophet Ezekiel says in chapter 37. And in fact, he prophesied that 2600 years prior, 2600 years prior, He prophesied actually that Israel, he had seen them. They were a valley of dried up dead bones. And God would miraculously bring them to life. Do you know that was fulfilled by the Holocaust when 70% of the Jewish population was killed in one short period of time while the world stood idly by watching it happen. And we couldn't really do anything by the time we started moving. Israel was decimated, and yet three short years after that, God brought them back to life into a nation. I want you to think about how hard that would be if you lost everything, and your friends and your family were, were, were killed, and you had to move from one country back to Israel, where it is a wasteland with nothing waiting for you, and to build yourself up into a nation in three short years. It is miraculous. It is the fulfillment of prophecy. Israel would be reestablished as a United Nations, according to Ezekiel 37, 21, and 22. According to Isaiah 66, Isaiah spoke of Israel being reborn in one day. One day. Now let me tell you how that is so anti what we usually see. Think about the American Revolution. Put your, your American history cap on, okay? Do you remember our history? We were seeded and planted here as colonies by Great Britain. It wasn't until many years later that we started having real trouble with them. Then we started having more trouble with them. Then the Boston Tea Party kicks things off, and then it just goes more and more and more until finally there is a declaration of what? Independence, and then we got it that very same day. Right? We declared our independence, and man, the king said, absolutely, it's yours. What <laughs> happened? We had to fight. The birth pain started. First, there was conception. There was all this time of gestation. The nation was growing up. Then the birth, started, I mean, the water broke, and then the pains, 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 the pains. We thought we were going to lose it. But then George Washington and all that great stuff, and we won. Right? Isaiah says not with Israel this is the way God's going to do it. In one day they're going to become a nation, then they're going to go into labor. What? The baby's going to be born and then you're going to feel the labor? Moms, does that happen? That's what's so significant about this prophecy. Let me share with you what happened. In May 14th, 1948, the Jewish People declared their independence as Israel. And for the first time in 2,900 years, they were a nation. What happened during that time? Well, the United States issued a statement immediately recognizing them as a nation. This went on to be a mandate of the United Nations. That very same day, a lease from Great Britain expired. And it all happened in one day and bam, Israel becomes a nation. It's amazing. And then the labor pains. The very next day, watch this. Jacob's descendants would not, uh, excuse me, Jacob's descendants would regain control of Israel and would never be uprooted again according to Amos 9. The very next day on May 15th, 1948, the day after their independence, the armies from the surrounding countries invaded. I want you to know this, that that, those countries far outnumbered the ragtag bunch of, of new Israelis that had just been formed into a nation the day before. But God said, you're not gonna uproot my people and they weren't able to. They weren't able to. Every battle, Israel stood firm. Every battle Israel has won. Why? Because God keeps His word. And when God starts to move, it happens quickly. How about Jeremiah 16: 14 and 15? The second Israel would be more impressive than the first Israel. You have this Israel today is, is the jewel of the, of the Middle East. Agriculturally, they're, they're just they feed most of the, the surrounding countries. Technologically, they're superior. Their technology is like like nothing we've ever seen, especially from a nation that's a fraction of our size. And it's kind of like when you're competing in sports, the bigger your school is, the more powerful you are on the football field. Israel is disproportionately small and powerful on the world stage and in technology and those kinds of affairs. In fact, I want you to consider this statistic. Nobel Prizes have been awarded to over 900 individuals. Do you know that over 20% have been Jewish? 20%, and yet they only make up 0.2% of the population of the world. Why is it so disproportionate? Because God is fulfilling prophecy. How about Ezekiel predicted when Israel would be reestablished? Ezekiel chapter 4, verses 3 through, through 6. This is really, 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 really remarkable to me. Okay, so I need you to understand something. That Israel, Israel lost their independence in um uh, it's uh it's 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 right here. Israel lost their independence in five hundred and thirty-six BC. They lost it to, and I'm talking about Judah. I'm talking about Judah. They lost their independence. And they were conquered by Babylon. Stay with me on this. Because I'm going to go through this calculation with you. God said you are going to suffer at the hands of the Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, and other empires for 430 years. But after 70 years, I'm going to conquer Babylon and you're going to be allowed to come home. Did they in fact come home? A very small percentage came home. This is indicating that they weren't truly repentant. The Bible says in the book of the law that if you're not repentant, then your, your punishment can be extended by a measure of seven times seven. And so they were supposed to come home. They said, No, we're good. We like Babylon. But Babylon is evil and they're pagan and they're not honoring the Lord. But we've still, we're, we're happy. We're, we're, we've settled in. We don't want to come back home. So God says, Okay then it's going to be multiplied times seven, what was, re- what was remaining. You take those years and you convert it into days, but back then it was a lunar calendar. Then you get the days under the lunar calendar and you have to convert it back over to a solar calendar, which we operate in today. You do that simple little calculation, that's exactly 2483.8 years. You take that from the time Babylon conquered them, And that leads you to 1948. Exactly the year God fulfilled Ezekiel's prophecy. That's pretty remarkable that God is so precise. No, not really. He's a precise God. He's an amazing God. Ezekiel 34 says that the people would return to their own homeland, and they did. Jeremiah 31 says that God would watch over the people of Israel, and he has. Leviticus 26, 3 and 7, 8, say, say, uh, those verses say that Israel's army would be disproportionately powerful. That, in fact, is the case. In most of their skirmishes, they're vastly outnumbered, and yet they always prevail. Maybe it's because the Bible says that five would drive out a hundred, and a hundred would drive out ten thousand. stay with me on this the bible says that the fortunes of the people of israel would be restored in deuteronomy 30 and in fact they have they are one of the richest nations in the world per capita if not the richest the hebrew language would be restored according to zephaniah 3 and jeremiah 31 but my favorite passage regarding the language being restored is found in matthew 23:39 where Jesus says for I tell you he's talking to Israel for I tell you you will not see me again until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord but he didn't say it in English he said it this way baruch haba be shem adonai which is hebrew saying Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What was Jesus saying? He's saying, you will call out to me in the language I gave your ancestors. And you will claim me as king. But how is that possible? For thousands of years, that language has been no more until recently. The Hebrew language, and I'm not talking about the common everyday language. I'm talking about the biblical language that Jesus referred to has been restored and will be used when they, re- when they recognize their king and welcome him home. The Bible says in Ezekiel 36 that the wasteland would be transformed into a garden of Eden. I want to remind you that it was in fact a wasteland for many, 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 many generations. In fact, Mark Twain said this when he traveled to Israel. He said, the further and further we went, the hotter the sun got. And the more rocky and bare." repulsive and dreary the landscape became. There was hardly a tree or a shrub anywhere. Even the olive and the cactus, those fast friends of a worthless soil had almost deserted the country. He said this when? In 1867. Well, guess what? Nothing had changed until 48. In 1948, everything changed Listen to this quick little clip. Israel was founded three years after the Holocaust. Three years after 70% of the Jews were destroyed in what is exponentially the largest slaughter of any people in human history. The remnant trickle back against the will of the British, okay, with no support from the world, into a desert piece of real estate with no natural resources, no infrastructure, surrounded by millions of hostile Arabs in a constant state of warfare, terrorism, economic blockade, And think about it. Within a few years, the desert is exporting fruits and vegetables to the rest of the world. That Israel is the only country in the world that has more trees at the end of the 20th century than the beginning. In terms of high tech per capita, the most in the world is in Israel. Done in less than 40 years with no natural resources, constant war, terrorism, economic blockade. It's unbelievable. But people just don't see it because we've gotten used to it. It's Jewish history. It's all supernatural. He said it's all supernatural. He says people just don't see it. But yet Jesus says it's one of the signs that when Israel begins to bloom, the church age is coming to a close and I'm going to bring my church home and we're going to be having a marriage, but my attention is going to go back to Israel because my prophecies will be fulfilled that I will draw my people back to me. I will draw my people back to me, the Bible says. And I want to show you that Israel has been reborn. These are pictures I took. Look at the groves. Go back, go back. Look at the the groves and the, and the different trees, and all of those are different crops. And back over here, more crops, and just as far as the eye can see, just plenty. Plenty. Does this look like a, like a wasteland to you? Look at these guys, they're huge. This is God's blessing on the land, it's everywhere you look. Oh man. This is me posing with more vineyards and groves and Jesus is coming back, but I don't think my hair is. I just don't think it is. And here's more. More groves and orchards and just everywhere I went. It was beautiful. It's beautiful. My favorite sign that something is blooming is Jesus said, Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot. By the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. And they say, well, that, that means the temple. But he didn't say the temple. He said Jerusalem. And in 1967, for the first time in over two millenniums since before the Roman conquest, Israel regained control of Jerusalem in a six-day war. I went with a group called Father's House. And this was my, my guide. His name is Moisha Brunstein. He happened to be at the six-day war. He was 17, 18, and he told us of the miracles and the miraculous hand of God at work during that six-day war, as he put it, God gave us God gave us Jerusalem back." Why? And he told of time after, you can do the research. Time after time after time, they were sure they were going to lose. Everything was stacked against them. In fact, there was a running joke uh, among the armed forces saying, hey, if you're the last one here, turn off the lights because we'll all be gone. And God did it in six days and then we rested. I think he punctuated it. Jerusalem. Belongs to my people. Jerusalem belongs to my people. You want to hear something else. That I don't think is also coincidental. Donald Trump. The 45th president of the United States. He. Declared Jerusalem. For the first time. A nation would declare Jerusalem. As Israel's capital. And he marked it by putting our embassy there. And he, he did it. Seventy years to the day, seventy years in 2018 from from 1948. Wow. Look at the victory. There's something going on there, guys. There's something going on, and so Moshe Brunstein was telling us about the beauty of Jerusalem. And for years, I, I want you to know my, my attitude in which I went to the promised land. Because for years, people would say, Pastor, do you want to go to the promised land? I go, nah, I live in the promised land. Spoken like a true Texan. I live in the promised land. I'm never leaving Texas. Texas is the promised land. God blessed Texas with his own hand. You know, that kind of thing. And I can remember going on different mission trips and, and people would ask, hey, where are you from? And I'd go, Texas. And then one guy says, you know, it's interesting because we host people from all over the world and all over the United States. Texans are the only ones that say, we're from Texas. And you always say it like that, Texas. We ask other people and they don't say Michigan. They don't say Iowa. They don't say Florida. They say the United States. But y'all always say Texas. And he's asking me and he says, Is there a difference between Texas and the rest of the United States? I haven't answered that question. I've let everyone answer it for me. Everybody knows there's a difference. There's just something about Texas. And so that's the attitude I went with. I live in a country, and and guess what? We have been blessed by God's own hand. Our whole nation has been blessed. So stinking blessed we can't realize it because we're spoil rotten now. But I went with that attitude and is telling me, he goes, I know that you come from amazing places and the United States is an amazing place, but, but can I tell you, the apple of God's eye is Jerusalem. And that's where he put his throne. and He will put his throne. And this is where he came and he died on a cross. And someday he's coming back and he's not gonna come to Texas. He's gonna come to Jerusalem. He's going to rule from Zion. Wow. And if you were a Christian, and he was a Christian, he says, if you're a Christian, you're my brother. And Jerusalem is your home. I'm crying right now because it invokes something I never was prepared for. We're driving down, and we come through that tunnel, and, and Jerusalem's up ahead. And, and we cross the marker, and he says, welcome home to Jerusalem, God's holy city, Zion. And I couldn't stop crying. I just couldn't contain it. Didn't expect to feel it. I went as a proud Texan, came out as a humble believer that Jerusalem is special. There's something special about that place. And maybe that's why I love this song so much. I'll
1: have you just listen to it a minute. Jerusalem, it's high on me. Ilundoloze, uhambe nami, zungishiilana, Jerusalem.
0: I'm going to let them keep playing it, but I want to tell you what it means. Because you might say, I don't know what it means. Maybe it'll change your mind when you hear what the words mean. It says, Jerusalem is my home. Lord, save me and walk with me. Don't leave me here. Don't leave me here. My place is not here. My kingdom is not here. Preserve me and go with me. Lord, save me. Preserve me. Guard me. Do not leave me here. My place is not here. My kingdom is not here. Save me. Walk with me. Because Jerusalem is my home. Jerusalem is my home. And someday I want to be there with you, Lord. Jerusalem is my home. Isn't that just like God? He has the whole world dancing to the fact that Jerusalem is our home.
1: Come on, church, come on.
0: About to close out the time of the Gentiles, he's calling the world, but it's about to close out, and we should be happy because our king is coming soon. (laughs) Just watch this, you can't help but be happy, especially if you know what it means now. Jerusalem is my home, this is not my home, this is not my kingdom. I'm not from here. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Don't leave me
1: here.
0: The most played song in the last two years right here. maybe you recognize those guys We were introduced to this song when we were celebrating our daughters our daughter's marriage. her and Christian got married we were celebrating we celebrated for a week with those guys. They were in another hotel, but we were in this one. And we danced this every night. And when I found out what it meant, I thought, how fitting, Lord. How fitting someday I'm going to dance this in glory at the wedding. At the wedding of the ages when I meet my king. How about you? How about you? Is Jerusalem your home? The Bible says that when he returns, he's going to set up his millennial reign. And that we will reign with him. And he will reign from Jerusalem. It will be a holy city. And so today as we partake of this cup of joy. Awaiting our groom's return. Celebrating what he did for us until he returns. We pray for Jerusalem, Lord. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem and we pray for your people. And we thank you because we will be a part of that great celebration in glory. Maranatha Lord. Maranatha. Maranatha. Sing
1: to the God of Sing to the Lord of creation. Sing his praise again. you return.
0: Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great, great week, church. I'll see you tonight. We have about 50 people baptizing tonight. Come and celebrate with us.